Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You're done with your Oreo. Yeah, <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm Murdery, murdery, thingy, thingy, Ready? Ready. And we're ready. Oh my god. <laughs> that only took forever. Shut <laughs> Oh no, it wasn't that long. I was responsible this week. I this, I got my write up done on fucking Sunday. This took me forever. Forever. But I am excited. <clears throat> Sandlot reference. <clears throat> what? Yeah, I understand. Thank you. Every generation has enjoyed the Sandlot. That's what I love about it. What is it from, like the late eighties or something? It's like basically from so. my childhood. I like it. You know, I but love I feel Sandlot. like yeah, like every generation is like taking it on. The second one's not that great. Never saw the second one. It's not I that did, great. however, see the Big Green, which involved like the same like uh, ginger fat kid. What's his name? Who knows? I don't. I think that was the one, right? Big green. The one who would like. It was like, like the soccer one. He would like bang his his bat on the mound like. He was like the big like bambino. Babe Ruth. Yeah, the big he bambino. Like a point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This moment in the movie when I point out to the <laughs> field. It was the All Star game today. today. Speaking of baseball. Oh really? Yeah. Um, I don't know who. If I don't it care. might still be going on. I really have no idea. Uh, the NL was losing when I left, so... The new... The what? The uh, NL? yeah, that's the new league. No, new... it's not. It's the National League. Oh. You got the National League, you got the American League. They joined forces in 1906 to form the Major League Shh. Baseball. The storied tradition, if you will. <laughs> so that's you've... me, I'm snoring. <laughs> you I'm that. asleep. You've never watched Ken Burns Baseball? Come on, no. with the, like, nine-part series or whatever the fuck. No. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. <laughs> I have not either, so. Are you serious, or are you being like, yeah, <laughs> neither have I? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I've never watched it. I've watched maybe, like, an episode when I was, like, really bored, and it was on PBS. So do you want to go first or second, or third or fourth or fifth? Is yours a mystery? Mine's oh, a wait, mystery. Oh, wait, fuck, who are we? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. You're supposed to tell me it's all the time. It's a mystery until uh, we say it. Well, they like clicked on the podcast. You just burped really loud. I don't really care. <laughs> I like I like forget that other people are going to listen to this. <laughs> One or two. Um, I'm Mario. I'm Chloe. Good job. This is mystery murder mystery thing. Mystery murder thing. I said it before you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so this is where we talk about the mysteries. The murderies. And some of the thingies as well. Um, today is very much a murdery day for me. This Because is... mine is a fucking classic serial killer. Mine is a miss classic Oh, now yours is mystery. a classic too. It's a, shut up. It's like. Stealing my thunder. It's like. 
loss of identity story. Loss of identity story. I don't know how else to explain it. It's okay, really you good. You should go first. You th- okay, you think I should go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. And we don't know what each other's doing this week. So. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, what 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 the fuck are you doing? I'm right doing fucking now the search for. I hate it when you like read over I'm not, my shoulder. Re- so I'm doing here. I'll this. take you know. I'm gonna take my glasses off. I can't. Even if I wanted to, I cannot read what's on that right now. Okay. <laughs> I swear to like fucking all the gods that ever existed. Okay, so I'm talking about the search for Mary Doe Four. So I was running around on Reddit. As you do. Like, as, as you do. As is your want. And I found a, a, a post in the Unresolved Mysteries Red Sud... Red. Subreddit. Subreddit, thank you. Subreddit. That Subreddit. says, Subreddit. by user Subreddit. infrared underscore buzz, buzzcock. <laughs> Wait, what was that one more time? Infrared underscore buzzcock. Good job. Says, I'm in the mood for some rabbit holes today. What are your creepiest, most disturbing, or just interesting unsolved mysteries? There are 913 comments, and man, I started scrolling and, and screenshotting and saving <laughs> and adding and this, that, anything until I found the perfect one. And it actually happened in, well, it wasn't based in, but. It happened in Morton, Illinois. Oh, which is really I close to just here. Just passed by Morton today. It's really close. I to I saw here, the right? sign on seventy four that said Morton, one mile this way. Not going to go there because what are you going to do in fucking Morton at ten at night? Yeah. Nothing. Sleep in your fucking bed. How many people live in Morton? It's probably what like less than a thousand, fewer than a thousand, rather. You going to do a little in pod research here? 16,287. Okay, but when did this happen? This happened in 1979. Uh, so it was probably less than, I'd imagine. Um, okay, so this is called The Search for Mary Doe 4. And so basically, Mary Doe 4 is the name of a woman who died of a heart attack at Queenwood East Nursing Home on March 2nd, 1978 in Morton, Illinois. Um, there was a very vague obituary from her. They talked, they said that Mary Doe 4 wasn't her real name. Her parents were unknown, birth date uncertain, birth, birthplace uncertain. If anyone survived her, nobody knew. This is a fucking mysterious lady. Yes. So it caught the eye of a journalist named Rick Baker. So I'm going to talk basically from his point of view and um, how he was the one who did a six-part story in the Peoria Journal Star um, starting Sunday, February 25th, 1979, outlining his search for mm. Mary Doe 4, for who she is. And he got pretty close. And it's a pretty frustrating end into why it's still huh. technically a mystery. Interesting. It's not proven. But we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. So Rick Baker, like I said, the author of a six-part series on the mystery of Mary Dofer, which was published in the Peoria Star, uh, Sunday, February 25th in 79. So he went to the nursing home where Mary died to find out more information about her. Um, He talked to her therapist, and she told the tragic story of Mary Dofer's life. Direct quote from 
there's I have a couple of direct quotes um, from the actual uh, article um, because it was a really, really he's a really good writer and it was a really good read and I couldn't. Yeah. Put, no. Yeah. I think you know quotes I mean? are good. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Quotes are good. Okay. I like quotes, but you have to try to say it as it as if you were him. So I'm Rick. I'm Rick Baker. 14 page account of the night. Yeah. Yeah. So Mary's therapist gave him a quote. <laughs> 14-page account of the nightmare the woman had lived for almost 50 years. That story was published in the March 12th Sunday edition of the Bloomington Pantograph, a newspaper I worked for at the time. The paper had a circulation of more than 50,000, and maybe there was a chance, a slight chance, that somebody knew who Mary Dofour really was, would read the story and reveal her identity before she was given an anonymous pauper's burial by the state. So that's from the first part, part one of six. So then he basically recounted her entire story in some nice bullet points. So this is also a direct <laughs> quote from the <laughs> What? I love bullet points. <laughs> okay. It was your idea to like... You were like, you should start writing in bullet points because I used to write in like paragraphs. I always like a write narrative. in bullet points. Yeah. No, writing in bullet points is way better. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you're not just like trying to write out everything you're going to say. Yeah. Okay. So about 50 years ago, a young, attractive woman was found dazed near a road in northern Illinois. She'd been beaten and raped and couldn't remember anything about herself. Soon after she was found, she was placed in a state hospital for the criminally insane at Mentino. She wasn't a criminal, and her only apparent mental problem was amnesia. Efforts to discover her identity were apparently minimal. She was pregnant as a result of the rape, and she had a child she probably never saw while at the hospital for the criminally insane. The child was probably put in an orphanage as soon as it was born. It was somehow learned during her early incarceration that she'd been an elementary school teacher, perhaps first grade. Her attempts to convince people she didn't belong to the institution for the criminally insane were met with efforts to calm her. She was given so much medicine she took constantly from pseudo-Parkinson's disease. She lined up with other residents of the institutions and frequently given electroshock treatments. When the treatments knocked her out, she was tossed in a large tub of cold water. That revived her. After 10 years at Mantino, she was transferred to the state mental hospital in Bartonville. At Mantino, she was known as Mary Doe. At Bartonville, she was known as Mary Doe 4 because there were other Mary Doe's (gasps) in the institution. What? Yes. That's where the fucking name comes from? Mary Doe 4. 4. So it's not, like, an actual surname, it's just Mary, but it's been, like, transcribed, like, through all the... Oh, my yeah, it literally God, says that's D- nuts. It's literally spelled D-O-E-F-O-U-R. Dofor. Oh, cause, see, because I wasn't reading. Exactly. I didn't know that. If you were reading ahead, you would have gotten... See, this is why I don't... You're not supposed to read ahead, man. You're supposed to wait for the surprise. That's a good surprise. Okay. Dofor. So, at Bartonville, the formerly articulate, well-educated woman adapted to her environment, defecated on the floor for lack of a toilet, washed herself in a toilet bowl when one was available, and blew her nose on her dress. She was in Bartonville about 30 years, never had a visitor, was kept calm on massive doses of medicine and frequent electroshock treatments. 
When the state ordered Bartonville closed in 1972, she was transferred to a nursing home in El Paso, then to a nursing home in Morton. In 1977, she went blind. Less than, less than a year later, she died. That's like the saddest fucking life I've ever heard of. It's pretty fucking sad. What, what, what were all these people thinking? At, it's the seventies. At the time, it's the 70s. I don't, no uh, rules. I mean, is our is our mental health system better now? I guess we just keep fewer people in places like this because they just shut them down. Yeah, and they shut a lot of them down during the Reagan years too. But is it better to have people in like being tortured in a building or homeless? That's kind of the question, right? Yeah. Or the, those are the two yeah. like choices that we were given as a country, in a sense, which is like kind of fucked up. So, anyway, <laughs> just a little Mario commentary. The reaction. that The story I just read, that was what was published in the paper. They That's put that nuts. in the paper. Wow. The story didn't bring any information back to Rick Baker. Mm. He eventually quit at the Bloomington paper and applied to the Peoria Journal Star, which had more people reading it. Moving on up to Peoria. Living <laughs> just enough in the city. I was just trying to figure out what the song that was, and it's from huh. My Life as a Teenage Drama Queen, which was an early 2000s movie with Lindsay Lohan. I don't give a shit <laughs> about Lindsay Lohan's early Living career. Living for the city. Okay, moving on. She's Shout been, out to all my millennials been, out she's there. She's pretty good in some movies, Lindsay Lohan. Right? She was a really cute actress. She was, was it The Parent Trap? Yes. When she she played, like, both of them? Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? People thought that she was, like, a twin. Like, I've heard someone say that before. Yeah, she's a really good actress. <laughs> she's not a twin. <laughs> just to yeah. be wonder. She's just another child actress that got caught up in it all. And there's so many of them. But she's done some good movies. Yeah, and she's better now. Yeah. Anyway. Good. We should get back to the story. <laughs> we should get back to the story. So, like I said, the reaction... The story didn't bring any info back. He applied to the Pure Original Star, which had more people reading it. They liked the story, and they ran it. It was received well and ended up being featured in seven to eight more papers all across Illinois, including the January 10th Midwest edition of the Chicago Tribune. Hmm. He only got three letters in response. And one of the letters was like, Mine was too blurry. Send me another one. And it was like, (laughs) yeah, they were not helpful. Two of them were no help. But the third, this is another... Direct quote. The third letter was from a woman in Iowa. There was another Tribune clip in it. She said the story brought back memories of a Mount Vernon, Iowa school teacher who got on a train about 1930 and was never heard from again. The teacher's name was Alice Zaser. The woman had an aunt in Clinton, in the Clinton, Iowa area. Unfortunately, the aunt was dead, end quote. So Baker decided to call the woman who wrote the letter. The woman said that she doesn't remember much about it. Um, but she told him that someone from Mount Vernon, Iowa, might know more. So we started doing some research. After a few calls, he got in touch with a teacher who remembered the story, but said the name wasn't Alice Zazer, it was Alice Sizer. He was then directed to another man that was thought to know more. He said her name wasn't Alice Sizer, but Anna Merle Sizer. Quote, 
By the time I hung up the telephone, I was close to certain I had just talked to Mary Doe brother, a retired banker who had not heard a word of his sister since she disappeared more than 50 years ago. End quote. Oh, my God. Part two of the paper. Basically, like, our... Part two, part two of the part paper. Part two of the paper. Get, get your part two of the paper. Sorry. <laughs> of the article. He did it every week. So, like... He, oh, okay. It was su- it was su- it was a really good read. Yeah. There was like a, a cliffhanger at the end of every single one. So part two of the paper basically outlines his call with the the brother Harry Sizer, who said Anna Merle Sizer was his sister who hopped on a train in Marion, Iowa, in 1926, but was never heard from again. They hired private detectives and looked as far as California, but they never found her. Rick gets the okay from his supervisor to to continue with the story and to travel to Iowa to visit Harry and to see a picture of Anna Merle. Hmm. So let's talk about Anna Merle Sizer. She was known as just Merle to her friends. She's just Merle. Merle. Mm. Isn't that cute? I like that yeah. name. So she came from a hardworking family that went through some tough times, but she was really, really smart. She was really, really hardworking. Um, and she jo- chose to go to Cornell, even though it was a private institution that was super expensive. She wanted to pay her way through it. So after going to Cornell for three years, then a short time at University of Colorado, she quit uh, to become an elementary school teacher. And she quit because of lack of money. But she planned to save her salary as a school teacher so she could go back and finish her education. Before she could do that, she disappeared in the fall of 1926. So what Rick does is he goes to the library where Anna herself had studied and finds microfilm of Mount Vernon's weekly newspaper, the Mount Vernon Hawkeye Record and the Lisbon Herald. He starts combing through articles until he found several about the, about the missing woman named Anna Merle Sizer. So in the Mount Vernon paper... It said that she had been missing since November 5th, which was a Friday. A friend had seen her getting off a train in Mary in a suburb of Cedar Rapids. Quote, she was also believed to have see- been seen the following Wednesday wandering in a kind of a daze along US-30, about 75 miles east of Cedar Rapids. US-30 is the main highway between Cedar Rapids and Chicago. State records indicate Mary Doe 4 was found wandering in a kind of daze somewhere south of Chicago, end quote like as well mm-hmm. Anna was described as having light brown hair and blue eyes Mary Dofer had light brown hair that over time had turned silver she also had blue eyes a motorcycle policeman reported that he had seen a woman walking but didn't think much of it until he saw the news about the missing person he gave a description to her parents Mr. and Mrs. W.R. Sizer that she had been wearing a green plaid coat and the parents conf- confirmed yep that's probably her uh, search parties were organized Hundreds of people searched, searched everywhere, nothing. Um, The day after she disappeared, November 6th, a woman said that a man came to her boarding home saying that he found this woman on the road and she's very sick and she needs a place to stay. But there wasn't enough room at the boarding house, so they just had to drive away. What? No room at the inn for baby Jesus, huh? Sure, you can compare it to, I guess. I mean, two people in need, you know. A pregnant woman coming back, you know, she, from a long journey. Or... I don't think she... No, I'm talking about Mary. She wasn't pregnant yet. Like Mary, from Mary and Joseph. 
from like, oh, the biblical okay. story. No, okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Rick Blake. Our Get main... enough on tangents, 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 tangents. <laughs> Rick Blake, our main man, a reporter here, then drove to Cedar Rapids where a much larger paper titled The Gazette had more information. These All these papers are still around today. Um, so the Gazette detailed that Anna Murrow was 28 years old when she disappeared. Um, she was a second and third grade teacher from Maquaketa, Iowa, traveled from Maquaketa to Mount Vernon to her, which was her hometown. She did, she traveled every weekend and every time she withdrew $10 from her bank account and November 4th, which was the day before she was last seen records show that there was $10 drawn for from her bank account. So she Mm -hmm. was planning to take the train back, Mm -hmm. back home for the weekend. Um, the paper also had more information about the man at the boarding house. It had a quote that said she was suffering from some kind of nervous breakdown, and it detailed that the woman had a black hat, as did Anna Merle. Police said that she had an illness of some kind and that she had missed part of the semester as a school teacher. Rick finds a picture of her that was that was published um, in in the newspaper, but he was looking at microfilm. And they didn't have any machines. They didn't have the tech that could, like, print that picture. Mm. So the only way to get a picture to compare, to talk to the other women at the at the nursing home where she died at, was to ask Harry, the right, brother. Right. But Harry and his older sister were very hesitant to give a photo. Um, they really didn't really want a part of this at all which i can understand like yes dredging this back up after 50 years like yeah. that's tough i mean you, you've already kind of like made peace with it and now you're being told like oh my sister led this terrible life like for 50 years and i mean who would want to deal with that yeah so his mother his father and three other brothers had died wondering what happened to her it was painful and quote we've almost forgotten all about it um, quote from the article, I'm sorry to have bothered you, I said, and accepted the fact he wasn't going to give me the picture. My si- my other sister and I have talked, he said, and we won't accept that our sister may be this woman. We won't accept it. Then he reached into his coat pocket, pulled out a clear photograph of Anna, Anna Merle and handed it to me, end quote. He was like, sure, have it, but... We don't want anything else we don't to want, do it. We yeah. don't want anything else to do it. Yeah. So, back to Illinois. He... Now that he has the picture, he travels back to the place Mary Doe Four died and showed the nurses that showed the nurses that knew her. Hilda Heron cared for her for the last years of her life, knew Mary longer than anyone in the home. She confirmed, yep, that's her. Diana Alvis, head nurse at the home, knew Mary for a few years. She also said, yeah, that's her. A vaccination scar can be seen in the photo on the left bicep. Uh... Dr. Alva said Mary had the same one. Eleven months ago, Rick was told by the nursing home that there were no photos of Mary, but Dr. Alva pulls one out to show him. Diana Stroud, a woman who used to work at Queenswood um, Nursing Home when Mary was there, confirmed the picture as well. Stroud also talked about how she was convinced that Mary's only problem was amnesia and that after some counseling, she would have been fine. Um, Instead, she was treated like she was straight up insane. Yeah, that's, like, so fucked up. Yeah. Rick takes this infra- information 
back to his managing editor and the editor says, hey, like, that's great, but you need to prove it. You need to check all the angles. I'm not going to publish something where someone's going to come back at us and say, you didn't do enough research. So Rick drives to um, Chicago to see an anthropologist named Professor Charles Warren, who teaches at the University of Illinois. He goes to talk to him because he's an expert at identifying skeletal remains. And during this time, he's currently busy trying to identify the remains found in the floorboards of that motherfucker, John Wayne Gacy. What? So he was, like, on the case. I love that there's a John Wayne Gacy connection. Yeah. Is John Wayne Gacy your favorite serial killer? No, um, Richard Ramirez is. Richard Ramirez, the nice talker. He had no demographic. He would kill anybody. And yeah. he would walk around trying doors. And he was just fucked up. And the fact that he was caught because the entire neighborhood was like, oh shit, that's him. People were grabbing bats. People were running after him. This is going to play into the mind for today. Richard Just Ramirez? So you know. Not exactly, but it's... And you it, have that nasty it ha- ass it has breath. Some, it has some, you know, some... Uh, uh, illusions, perhaps, or, okay. you know, things of that nature. So, yeah, the doctor that he can went to ask questions she was working on those remains. Um, to identify the remains of Mary Dofour, who may have been this woman. What was her name again? Uh, some, what? Anna the, Merle Sizer? Anna Merle Sizer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Just the, making sure I know what the fuck is going on right yeah, now. Yeah, there's a lot. Okay. So... This guy, Professor Charles Warren, could prove or disprove the photos, but he needed an x-ray of Mary's skull. But that was never going to happen because she had been cremated (gasps) 11 months prior. Oh, shit. In the end, Professor Charles Warren says that he's... He does show the pictures to him anyway, and he says that he's not sure. He says... It's something like, I'm not sure I'm an expert in bones. That's what he says. Right. So, but he does confirm that, quote... Both women have prominent mental processes of the mandible. She's wrinkling her chin in the later photograph to hide the fact that she's missing her teeth. A prominent mental process of the mandible means cleft chin, end quote. Um, hmm. and, they, and he talked about that. She, like, had her teeth pulled at one point. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I know it's weird to, yeah. Oh, my God. You don't like that shit. I showed you my, like, huge mosquito bite the other day. You're like, I don't want to see that. I was also watching Babadook earlier. Fuck that. I don't know why you put yourself through that horror movie bullshit. <laughs> I know you hate horror movies. Well, they were watching it over at, like, we are hanging out at their house after work. But, um, instead of, like, going back to the office. Yeah. So they were just, like, watching Babadook, which I thought was funny. <laughs> so I saw, like, the last, like, half of it or something. Ah. Uh, but he's a gay icon. <laughs> it's not, like, that scary. I don't know. I know you hate horror movies. I hate horror movies. Okay, we're moving on. So, summary, the rundown, what we found. Both have naturally curly hair, blue eyes, cleft chins, similar whitish noses. Whitish noses, whitish noses, whitish noses, whitish noses. Yeah, that's a good one. Both have vaccination scars in approximately the same places. Both have similarly sloped shoulders, were taller than average, were elementary school teachers. Both had not been heard of by their families for more than 50 years. Both were intelligent, articulate women. Anna Merle Sizer was believed last seen, believed to be last seen wandering in a daze along a highway in Iowa in the fall of 1926. Mary Dofour was found wandering in a daze along a highway in northern Illinois about the same time. 
Both would have been about 80 when Mary Doe Four died last March. Two women who knew her last said both are the same women. Still, his managing editor editor was like, nope, not enough, bro. Wow. So Rick goes to the Mantino State Hospital. It's 30 miles south of Chicago, and Mary spent 10 years at this place. It had a population of 9,000 people when she was there, but now it had less than 900. There had been 19 Mary Does at this place. Wow. There were 12 Dane Joes, 50 John Does, one Charlie Doe, George Doe, Sarah Doe, and one Wendell Joe. Wendell Doe. Doe, yeah. (laughs) Why Wendell? I don't know. Maybe he was a black dude. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, were you thinking that too? <laughs> I wanted you to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so Rick went back to this place because he heard there might be another photo of her in their files. Oh, okay. But it had been burned. They keep patients' records for 10 years, and then they're burned. <laughs> we don't need that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. So basically, there were so many Mary Does that it's easy for the records to be displaced. And when he went here, he looked, he was looking at these records, and none of them made any really any sense. They were mismatched. And even the nurse, she said back then there was one nurse for every 155 patients, and these records have no credibility whatsoever. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Quote. Something was nagging me about this story lately. It's the date state records have her as being found, 1932, yet she disappeared in 1926. Hmm. She couldn't have been here since 1920, Mick Metz, who was the nurse, says. This place didn't exist in 1926. It wasn't here until 1932. She was probably transferred here from someplace. So he calls the records office to see if a woman who couldn't remember her name was transferred from a mental hospital in Kankakee. Yes, one was transferred from a mental hospital at Kankakee, but that's all the card shows. It doesn't indicate how long she was at Kankakee. If Kankakee records indicate she was found about that time she was missing from Iowa, it could be another piece of evidence. The superintendent of the Kankakee Institution isn't in. The secretary says he won't be in for the rest of the day. I explained my situation to the secretary and hope she'll find the story interesting enough to look up the date the woman was admitted to Kankakee. So they have a little conversation. He's like... He's like, no, no, I'm giving you... She's like, I can't get that information. He's like, no, I'm giving you information. You just have to confirm it. And she's like, no, that's illegal. I can't give out <laughs> mental... Or like, you know, not mental. Um, medical Yeah, medical records, yeah, without consent. It's a super... Stuff. Yeah, it's super illegal. So that's basically it. That's the dead end. Hmm. Um, and... Part six, he redetailed everything. He did a summary of what his journey was. And then he talked about why it can never be solved. And you were inching at this earlier. So this is all a direct quote. It's it's a little bit, it's like half of <laughs> part six <laughs> article. But it's like written really well. And it I couldn't be, I wasn't able to articulate like Are you going to read it, it in on his voice own. or? No. <laughs> okay. Why it's a mystery. So basically it says, and if we could get records now being kept in the George A. Zeller Mental Health Center in Peoria, perhaps we could get more information to link the two, but mental health records are private. One wanting to examine mental health records need the consent of the person the records are about, but Mary Doe 4 was dead. But a judge could allow a relative of the persons to see the records. Mm 
for the relative to see the records, he'd have to sue the state government. And the newspaper was prepared to help Anna Merle Sizer's brother do just that. Richard Ney is a reporter for the Peoria Journal Star. Ney is also a licensed attorney, and he said he would gladly represent Harold Sizer for the brother, for the brother, quote, for, um, for no charge. Sizer wouldn't even have to appear in court. All Harold Sizer would have to do would be sign a form appointing Ney as his attorney. Then Ney would go to court and attempt to convince a judge to turn over the records to Anna Merle Sizer's brother. Ney said he thought chances of a judge agreeing to do that were good. But this morning, Harold Sizer said the info, said the information I had didn't convince him Mary Dofer was Anna Merle. He said he didn't see any similarity between a photograph of Anna Merle and Mary Dofer. And he said he didn't want to pursue it any further. He would not sign the retainer agreement. He accepted the fact that his young, pretty sister was abducted and murdered more than 50 years ago. He learned to live with that acceptance. Quote, this is just rubbing salt in the wounds, end quote. He said, quote, I don't want anything more to do with it. I want the picture of my sister back, end quote, he said. Instead of helping a family, as was the intent of this whole thing, I was instead irritating a family. My information was obviously traumatic for Anna Merle Sizer's brother. He'd said from the beginning he didn't want any part of the search, that he would rather let old wounds stay closed. But I insisted on opening them. I had telephoned him several times. I appeared at his door unexpectedly. Each contact was obviously painful for him. And I wasn't going to push it anymore. Instead of bringing relief, I brought pain. Instead of helping the situation, I was apparently hurting it. All the angles had been covered. Everything that could be done had been done. Almost a year of on and off searching had been had been for all practical purposes an exercise in futility. While I remained near certain Mary Doe Four was in fact the young school teacher who disappeared from Iowa more than fifty years ago, I couldn't prove it. The search was over, the case was closed. The managing editor said he didn't want a story that said this might be her. But that's what he got. <laughs> and that's the end of the article that's a good ending yes it's that was good that was interesting isn't that a good one yeah i mean it seems clearly it was her but you can't prove it but it can't be conclusively proven and since there's no body there's no dna analysis possible yeah sorry sorry i don't think people can hear it like you think they oh can. no you can definitely hear it <laughs> it's very clear it. <laughs> Email mysterymurderythingy at gmail.com and tell us if you could hear that sound. <laughs> what, whatever we were talking about, just not that. <laughs> Let us know. I don't think I can do it. I'll again. count up all the yeses. I think I... Okay, so that was your, that was your story, right? Yeah. Okay. I think I've done them all. Here, let me get my... Glasses. Let me get my glasses back on glasses, here. Glasses! I'm just gonna put on my glasses, you know. Oh, I just so want to read. See. I just want to read. Talk about my source. Oh, correct. Um, the six-part um article from the Peoria Journal Star, which was started on Sunday, February twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine, was recounted on um a blogspot post from a blog called Ancestry Sisters. And basically, they specialize. They're like professional ge- genealogists and stuff. And um, you know, yeah. we're like genealogists and like shit, you know, and like some other couple of things too. But like, it's like on the side. Yeah, and that's, mostly genealogists. That's Mary. Oh. And that's Anna. Hmm. It's hard to tell. 
But I feel like some of those nurses would have known her for a long time. So she may have looked more like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it is pretty so hard So fucking sad. Um, but yeah, I'll post that. But it was uh, Rick Baker, right? That was the author. Of the article, yes. Yes! Rick Baker. Thank you, Rick Baker. And all the other people and who the 30, find out shit for us. It was the 35th anniversary oh. when this was written. So it was written in like 2014 or something. 2013, it says up here. 2013. 2013, and I don't care. Now it's 2018. It's like the fucking yeah. future. And then okay, go, go, know, go. next year will be different. So I am doing a very classic serial killer story this week. That of... The Servant Girl Annihilator. Oh, I don't like that word. Yes. Annihilator. Annihilator. And this man was, presumably a man, was fucking crazy. This is a certifiable, like, off the fucking hinges serial killer with a fucking axe. Oh my god. Yes, he is a serial axe murderer. And it, they don't know who it is? No one knows at all. Was never caught. Slipped by the police, by mobs of people who were eventually roaming the streets of Austin, Texas. Oh. Austin, it Texas. Texas. It happened in my home, Texas. one of my hometowns of Austin, what's Texas. So, what's so special about Texas? <laughs> what's so special about Texas is we may have actually had America's first serial killer. So that's uh, pretty that's cool. something to brag about, ain't something it? Something to brag about. Also, Austin was the site of probably the first, uh, like, modern school shooting, which oh. was in the early 60s from the, like, the tower or whatever. Oh, yeah. It was like a sniper. It was, like, fucking crazy. Yeah, that's fucked up. That's, that's a crazy one. But we know who did that one. I forget their name, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It wasn't me. Um, so, the Servant Girl Annihilator was a serial killer in Austin, Texas. You can't say that. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a very morbid joke. Okay. So it's, it's about murder. Okay. So, <laughs> the Servant Girl Annihilator. Okay, we're getting, we're serious now. Yes, killed eight people and injured several others between late 1884 and Christmas Eve of 1885. Shit. So this basically happened between two Christmases. If, you know, maybe if you were making a movie of it, you would call it Between Two Christmases. That would be a really bad name. That's what I was saying, but counterexample. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, and the Servant Girl Annihilator may be America's first true serial killer. Although, I mean, who's to say, really? So he's not as well known, though, as you might expect from, like, such a prolific and, like, historic serial killer, right? Yeah, there's a lot out there. So, as with, you know, what I talked about before, right, the Thames Torso murders, it might have something to do with the fact that the Jack the Ripper killers, or killings, rather, were, like, right after this. So big. And yeah. were so huge, like, all over the world. Yeah. So that was, like, three years later, and, you know, we'll, yeah, kind of talk about that a little bit more as things go on. Um, so the M.O. of the Servant Girl Annihilator is also kind of interesting. So killed both men and women. Like, serial killers almost never uh, do that. Yeah. They almost always kill, like, 
within one gender, right? Richard Ramirez did. Richard Ramirez did, but also, you know, like, uh, atypical. Um, also killed people of different races. Yeah, fuck this guy. So, mostly black women. Also but... fuck Richard Ramirez. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. These are terrible, terrible people. I know, you're like, who's your favorite serial killer? But I know. Fuck Richard Ramirez. Yeah, we, we don't admire these people in any sense. These are awful fucking humans who made terrible choices that, you know, no one should ever do. Um, but, you know, they're interesting stories as well. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so the servant girl annihilator, um, did usually kill, you know, black women, like I said, but, uh, also some other people and mainly used an ax, but also did some slashing, some dismembering, oh. some plunging of a sharp object into the skull. Oh, oh that's Just, so fucked up. This is a very gory one. Mm. Um, and also sometimes committed sexual assault on the eventual murder victims. So was also very adept, very daring, um, very fucking elusive, uh, attacked people in their homes at night, evaded the police. This sounding a little bit like Richard mm-hmm. Ramirez, right? Mm-hmm. Home invasion. Um, yeah. w- and would t- a lot of times actually, um, attack a woman who was sleeping in bed with a man or with their children, but the children were t- usually not hurt. Mm. which is it's 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 all like kind of strange right like who was this person who was like deranged enough he's got some balls and very very daring like yeah i mean if you're trying if you're like criminal the, minding this like it's someone who's like hyper intelligent probably the the audacity of this caucasity what the fuck is that from <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about i mean Oh, I'm not picture. steeped in meme culture, Remember so I'm sorry. the pictures that says, the whites are at it again. Uh, yeah, I think so. It's like the same format, but it says the audacity of this caucasity. Oh, uh, let me see. Or it says the caucasity of this audacity. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. That's okay. This is like a really like loose episode, even though it's pretty fucking tragic. Yes, we're, we're trying to keep it light as we're talking about very, you know, gory and, and sad things. It's how we cope. It's how we cope. Uh, it's how we cope. Uh, that's not a real song. So let's just run down the victims, okay? So first victim, Molly Smith, black, about 25 years old, found dead on December 30th, 1884. So just five days after Christmas. She was uh, a cook and, you know, just kind of generally a servant for um, a prominent Austin, you know, family uh, named the Halls. And, of course, we'll remember that this is, like, just as we're getting out of Reconstruction, kind of. So the, you know... Slavery is very much in everyone's mind, right? And racial relations, you know, very mm-hmm. particular. Miss um, uh, Smith, Molly, did have a reputation for having a very high temper. Uh, reportedly, she once spoke of nearly killing a man with a bottle, like in a bar, like, crash, I'm going to kill you with a fucking bottle. That what? sort of thing. So that was Molly, apparently. A little excitable. Um... So just, you know, so you have a little more info about her. Um, Some of these accounts also, though, may have been, you know, painted by the sort of racist, misogynistic nature of, you know, the press and life just generally in the late 19th century in the United States uh, or at any other time. But particularly this time, Um, she did also have a 10 year old son named George um, and was murdered with extreme brutality. Mm. There was an axe wound in her head, 
almost splitting it in two. She was stabbed in the chest, in the abdomen, in the legs, and in the arms. Oh my god. She was quite literally floating in her own blood in the snow outside her employer's home. That's how she was found. Yeah. Floating in a pool of her own blood in the snow. Fuck that. That's the first victim. Next two victims were Clara Strand and Christine Martinson. They were stabbed, seriously wounded, but survived on the night of March 19th, 1885. And there's really not too much more that's known about them. But did they, like, say anything about him? Could they give any information? Um, The reports were always very sketchy. Um, There were a few eyewitness reports, including one by a child who witnessed the murder. Um, or at least witness the the kidnapping, I guess, before the murder, because he usually would like take drag them outside and kill them outside or in a farmhouse, for whatever reason. Um, but um, they were always very like not very particular, like large man. Oh um, yeah. The the child uh, said that they were like dark, you know, like dark complected, probably like a black man. Which would make sense, right? Like, serial killers typically kill within their own races, which would point to, like, a black man in this instance. Um, And men uh, typically, you know, kill women in serial killer situations and and vice versa. So um, it would have made sense, right? So the fourth victim, Eliza Shelley, she was about 30 years old. Her body was actually found in her bedroom, which is a little atypical for the servant girl annihilator. Uh, On May 7th, 1885, her head was also almost split in two by the axe. So, you know, this is really the ammo, right? Um, Brutal, you know, savage attacks with an axe. And they say actually in a lot of these stories that um, apparently the axe a lot of times came from the home itself. Because, of course, they would have been, uh, you know, chopping firewood. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So it it was like a typical household implement at that time, the same way you would have a fork or a knife now, right? And I guess it's like doesn't track back to him because it was their weapon. Exactly, which, yeah, a lot of killers will do that uh, for that very reason. So Eliza Shelley, she was also a young black uh, woman who was a cook. Um, She worked for actually a state legislator, a pretty prominent man as well. Uh Uh, And she had worked for him for a long period of time. And she had two or three young children. There's, like, different reports. Fifth victim, Irene Cross. She was about 38 years old. And so you can see there's different ages, too. Like, it, it, he didn't really discriminate, like, in any way. Um, Irene Cross was murdered on the night of May 22nd or 23rd, 1885. And she was found brutally stabbed and nearly scalped. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, Why? Yeah, and, and it was her... Why scalped? I don't know. It, it seems like this, this serial killer, the Servant Girl Annihilator, is just, like, constantly escalating. Like, that, that's really what it seemed like to me. Like, for this year, it was just, like, almost like a fucking extended spree killing where you just get worse and worse and worse with each one, you know? I don't know why there hasn't been, like, a fucking crazy movie about this. But, yeah. Um, well, there probably has been, and I just don't know about it. But um, Irene Cross's uh, one child, uh, Washington, her son... And her nephew, Douglas Brown, were present at the scene as well. And it was the nephew who claimed to have seen the killer and identified him as black and barefooted. Oh. Oh. Which we'll get to later, barefooted. 
So Clara Dick was the sec- uh, the sixth victim, uh, and she was found seriously wounded in August of 1885. She also survived. Um, the seventh and eighth victims were Rebecca Ramey and Mary Ramey. Uh, Mary Ramey was only were they eleven. Sisters? They were uh, they were um, da- uh, mother and daughter. Oh, okay. Um, Mary Ramey is the the youngest victim. Uh, Rebecca was also a cook. Um, you know, like uh, two of the other victims, and she was found gravely injured on August thirtieth or thirty first, eighteen eighty five, um, in her bedroom, badly bleeding on you know just like laying on the floor, uh, but she did survive. Um, and actually lived on haunted by this for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, outside, though, her 11-year-old daughter, um, Mary, was found on the floor of a wash house, stabbed through the ear with a sharp metal object, which we'll see a few times. She had also been sexually assaulted, and she died soon after being found from her wounds. And... Yeah, Rebecca reportedly, like, lived out the rest of her life just, like, haunted by this, which, I mean, yeah. my fucking God, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, so the ninth and tenth victims, uh, Gracie Vance, 20, and Orange Washington, 25, were also both black, as were all of the victims up to this point, I believe. On September 28th, 1885, the two sweethearts and common law man and wife which is very much a thing even today in texas like if you live together you're man and wife there technically according to the state um were sleeping together in like a little shack uh behind her employer's home uh like i said she was also a cook i think and um the annihilator knocked george out with an axe and then dragged gracie outside to a stable and basically beat her head in oh yeah until According to the Austin Daily Statesman, quote, her head was almost beaten into a jelly. Yeah, this one, this one's really disturbing, guys. Like, thank you for, for going on this journey with us to this very gory, horrible, despicable place. It's because gory it's, and horrible, you know, but you have to think about what makes a monster, what makes somebody... Do what makes a monster like and what no, but make... ser- but I know, but seriously, what right. the fuck? I know, it's it's like... And there wasn't... They didn't do you think ha- he was on drugs, too? Like, mm, I think it's doubtful. Because most of the drugs that would have been available at that time would have been, like, opiates, I believe. Which wouldn't cause you to do this. They'd just cause you to go to sleep. Uh, I've got to think they had some kind of, like... Der- you know, just like, maybe a he- like a severe head wound at some point in their lives... Mm-hmm. Or perhaps they were suffering from, like, syphilis, which can cause you to go, like, crazy, like, have psychoses. Um, I don't know. But they definitely didn't have any way of finding out in 1885 and 1884. Like, they had no mechanism for coping with this at that point. Um, and which is part of why it just, like, went unsolved. Okay, so, um, getting back to the victims, and these are the last two victims, so I know there have been a lot. Uh, These are the 11th and 12th victims, Susan Hancock, 41, and Eula Phillips, who was only 17. Both of them were killed on the same night in different locations in Austin. Yeah, escalation, like you said. Definite, definite escalation. And this actually happened on Christmas Eve, 1885. So just think about that, Christmas Eve. I mean... 
I think the part of that has to be, I don't know, like... The, That's a personal thing. Yeah, it's like the, the depravity of it, like, flying in the face of all, like, you know, convention or norm. Like, this night isn't going to be peaceful. It's going to be, like, fucking horrific. Um, so Susan was reportedly one of the most refined ladies in Austin. It's like, unlike a lot of the victims so far, these are, these are like, higher class to, like, middle class people. And these were both white women. Um, Eula Phillips was just 17. Both of them were killed in their homes, uh, which is not unheard of with this killer, but a little unusual. And Susan was taken from her bed and her head, like we've seen before, was, quote, cleaved in two. Wow. So that's kind of the main, you know, MO in terms of like what, you know, how he like murders that, um, but, but also like some of the other ones, uh, she was also found with an, a sharp object struck through her ear. So there seems to be something to do with that, too. Like, some kind of pathology to do with, like, putting something in someone's this ear. This is frustrating, because I want to know. If criminal minds were around at this time, they would have done this justice. But they they just didn't have the mechanism, so there wasn't... They just didn't do it. I'm sorry. It's frustrating. She was found by her husband, Susan was, um, in their backyard, um... Oh, I guess they weren't both killed in their homes. Anyway, um, she did survive three days before succumbing to her wounds. And again, she couldn't give... Yeah, she couldn't give a very good description of, like, the killer or anything. You know, for obvious reasons. Um, Eula was killed about an hour after Susan in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Austin. And she was actually found naked in an alley outside her home. Like, dead. That's how she was found. And her head had been crushed by an axe. Eula had also been uh, sexually assaulted. And uniquely among the murders, her arms were actually pinned down by pieces of timber, which wasn't the case for, like, any of the other killings. So it's a fighter. Exactly. That's what the, kind of the report said, that, you know, this you might know. have been, you know, to, to, like, keep her down, you know, to, yeah, have her not fight back. Um, Eula's husband was found badly wounded, but her son was found in bed next to him completely unharmed. That's so bizarre. So, like, if if we're thinking about, like, the, 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 uh, the criminology of this, right, the, um, what's the, the phrase I'm trying to think of? The, the profile, exactly. Like, the psychological profile of this killer. There seems to be some instinct in them to per... Except that Mary Ramey was 11, so obviously not in every instance, right? But some instinct to like at least preserve male children, perhaps. To me, maybe that, they represent him. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Maybe there was some kind of um, abuse early on in childhood that caused this person to create like a deep-seated antipathy towards black women, perhaps, or cooks, or or like servants, or like whatever, like, what connection there was in this deranged person's mind that then led them to, like, do these things all these years later. I mean, that's something we know about now, right? That that can happen. So maybe that was the case with him. But again, we'll never really know. So, you know, all of these murders, and and including the last ones, of course, because they were wealthy white women, sparked a huge amount of outrage in Austin and a, a true, like, mob response. Like dozens and dozens of people just yeah. like roaming the streets all night um and there was like a run on gun shops <laughs> just like literally they ran out of guns 
because like everyone was buying fucking guns and uh they had a meeting of over 500 community leaders to discuss how to stop the killer wow yeah but all of this was completely unnecessary because the attacks inexplicably stopped just for whatever reason the cops were terrible it wasn't them they spent apparently most of their time going to uh whorehouses or uh we should say sex worker houses oh i don't my know God. um or going to you know uh, pool halls and drinking like yeah apparently the austin police was uh, not very good at this point in time i read that in like many sources <laughs> very corrupt very lazy not good at their jobs lesser dead yeah um i'm sure the apd is much better now uh, i really don't know but i'm sure they're fucking better than that right <laughs> cuz how could you be worse um so they did, though, use kind of the only sort of forensic, um, air quotes, air quotes, uh, sort of thing they had at the time, which was bloodhounds. Blood, blood <laughs> they used some bloodhounds, but this wasn't in North Carolina. This was in Texas. Um, led by a dog named Old George. Old George! Old George. Hey, oop! Old George! I can't whistle like that. Can you do that with no. your fingers? Old George, come over here. We need to find us a, a killer. Come on. Um, <laughs> he was apparently the leader of the of the pack of the bloodhounds. It's an animated cartoon or what? <laughs> it could be a Disney cartoon. Really morbid. It's about Old George. You know. The, well, it's his... about something really morbid, but it's actually a very happy-go-lucky movie, like most Disney movies are. Right. That that could be interesting. Like Hunchback of Notre Dame. That shit's brutal. That's what I was saying from earlier. Oh. What makes a monster and what makes a man? Oh. It's the essential question of the Disney Broadway musical, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, coming to a city near you, I'm sure, because it gets done all the time. I was in it. I know, I was there. Just I saw a year it. ago. And the main guy was, Jesus, my God, a voice on that kid. I like was. And a were, biology major. And I, I was so mad about that. A I was biology like, what are you major. doing? What are you doing? Hey. When I. It's like natural born talent oh i'm sure he's worked very it's hard like as well. shit that you can't obviously but like right no i know what you mean uh, and, right right which is kind of a thing in singing because we're getting off on a big tangent anyway anywho so old george unfortunately and his his pack did not actually turn anything up uh however cute they may be um but the police did round up uh the usual suspects mostly poor black men you know, Jeez. yeah, um, I th there were like over 400 uh, suspects rounded up uh, over the course of the investigation. None of that went anywhere, really, um, in terms of finding the killer. And, you know, while Austin was relatively more accepting of blacks, like um, there were black owned businesses, you know, like the first ones in Texas were like in Austin, things like that. Racism was obviously still extremely strong there. And mm -hmm. this incident really, like, fomented more racial resentment and, like, stereotyping. And it, like, really was kind of a watershed moment, in a sense, or perhaps, in, like, race relations in Austin in terms of, like, making them worse. This was when minstrel shows were popular. Minstrel shows, definitely. Yeah, this was before vaudeville. Um, this is uh, a little bit after Gilbert and Sullivan, if we're thinking about the timeline of theater. You're taking theater history, too, this next semester, right? Nope, I have to take it spring semester, because oh, theater history one is in fall semester. I see, I see. You'll, well, I'm assuming all of that would be in theater history, too. 
<laughs> no, we, we, well, we talked about minstrel shows and stuff in, I forgot what the class is called. Fundamentals anyway. of Theater. Okay. Fundies. We called it Fundies. You do. I've heard that many times. Uh, there's some it, it, inside ISU knowledge for you. Because <laughs> we're in a Bloomington normal. Blown out. Blown out. We're in blown out. Um, so the mayor of Austin eventually brought in outside investigators when, like, the bloodhounds didn't work, the rounding up the usual suspects didn't work, uh, uh, from Houston's Noble Detective Agency. Um, they just kind of, like, made everyone more paranoid and just kind of, yeah. like, it stirred shit up, you know? And just kind of ended up abusing more innocent black men. Uh, so that it was kind of just the same as what was going that on before. That unfortunately makes sense. Yeah, it's it, the same old story. You know, it's, uh, it's a very old story. It's a very new story. It's, it is what it is. Eventually, though, Walter Spence, Molly Smith, the first victim's boyfriend, was indicted for the murders. Or at least for her murder. But she, he was acquitted after a two-day trial. Uh, prior to the last two killings actually even happening. Mm. Oh. Okay. The investigation did continue, and a new police chief came in, increased the police force to 50, tried to make it a little more professional, a little more not like a, you know, rabble-rousing group of drunkards <laughs> and uh, degenerates. So, you know, good on you, uh, back in 1886. And strangers were pretty much just summarily stopped and questioned. Uh, why are you here? What are you doing? You know, where were you on the night of whatever? So they, that was their tactic. And there were also two separate rewards offered, one for $3,000 and one for $300 by a prominent businessman and the governor, respectively. Women stayed at home, and some even got these newfangled things called electric burglar alarms. Oh, futuristic. Yep. This, they had, like, just been invented, and uh, there were, like, people getting them all over Austin because, like, they were fucking scared because they should have been. Um, other people just simply left town. In 1886, two white men were arrested. These were Jimmy Phillips and Moses Hancock, uh, the widowers of the last two victims. And they were basically, you know... Um, the police thought that they were, like, the last ones to see them, whatever. Her husband did it. E- even though one of them got badly injured, but it's, right, it's the start of that, it's right? The, that the husband yeah. always did it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the public uh, was pretty skeptical of this theory, but the police believed that, you know, they had, like, a strong motive uh, to go on. They said that they had found a letter from Hancock's wife stating that she couldn't handle his, like, apparently drinking all the time. That apparently he was a big drunk. And believed that he had killed her, like, when she had confronted him about this, in, like, a drunken rage. So that was, like, their theory of the case. And uh, Phillips um, was a young musician who apparently was very abusive toward his wife, Eula, and once chased her around with a knife. So that's very Mm. suggestive, right? And Eula May actually probably definitely was cheating on her husband like a bunch all the time like she would go to why you say definitely was oh because there's just like all these reports of it and it it was like very well established people just knew people knew they talked about it at the trial yeah so she would apparently visit this place called mary tobin or sorry may tobin's house of assignation 
assignation is like an old timey word for getting it on for fucking. It's like you having an assignation. It's like a booty call. That's right. like in in modern parlance. <laughs> So, um... You... Mama's got a gentleman caller. <laughs> what is that from? I forget. A Raisin in the Sun. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, so, uh, she would, uh, reportedly, Eula would visit this Mary Tobin's house of assignation, uh, several times in late 1885, including on the night that she was murdered. Ooh. Right? Mm. But it's not... I know, right? Uh, but it's not clear <laughs> if her cheating husband, you know, if or, or if her cheating, rather, had anything really to do with her death. So we, we just don't really know. So the trial, though, of Jimmy Phillips and, and Hancock, um, Mr. Hancock, was like a big media sensation, right? Like, this was the OJ of the time, right? Two white men, you know, going up for murder uh, of their, you know, beautiful young wives, and it also mesmerized a capacity crowd in the old Travis County Courthouse in Austin, Texas. Wait, what do you mean mesmerized? So like there, were, there were a lot of people there? There were tons of people, hundreds of people in there. The It was standing room only. And the report said that people were, like, like mesmerized. Like, they were just, like, wrapped. Like, no one was talking. No one was shuffling. They were just, like, staring straight ahead, like, listening to the, you know whatever was going on, right? Like the, the testimony or okay. the, you know, okay. the judge or the whatever. I'd want to be there. Yeah. Cause this is like fucking crazy. Right. And, um, Phillips's charge, uh, charges rather were brought up first. Prosecutors alleged that the ax used to kill Eula was actually hers, which like I said, w- was probably the case for some of these and said, they said that she had gotten it for self-protection against Phillips. Because, oh. remember, he's the abusive one. I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah. But when they fought, this is according to the police, he took the axe from her, dragged her outside, and killed her there to make it look like the other killings of the servant girl annihilator. So that it would get pinned on the serial killer. Oh. Which is, of course, something that, like, do you we th- see. Do you think that happened? Eh, I don't know. There's not really enough to go on. I don't think so. I think it was all the same killer, and he just killed outside his race for some reason. Escalation? Yeah, maybe part of escalation, or, yeah. Bigger risk? Could be, could be that. Um, But, you know, for for whatever reason, that's like what the police thought. And according to a police sergeant, a bloodhound did lead them to Phillips, but that does seem kind of sketchy to me, because it was just that one sergeant that said it happened. So I don't know. The defense, in turn, Phillips' defense, uh, compared the footprint... And this is where we're getting back to the barefootedness. Uh, compared the footprint of Phillips to a bloody one found at the scene. Uh. So some early forensics. And here's a quote from uh, a Texas Monthly article. Quote, In a moment of high drama that presaged Johnny Cochran's If it doesn't fit, you must acquit defense. By more than a century, a detective took measurements and Jimmy's foot turned out to be smaller. Not a match. Not a match. Therefore, he is not the killer. Frickin' Johnny Cochran. I know, right? The prosecution said not so fast and said Phillips must have been carrying his wife when he made the footprint. So it would have been more spread out and would have been bigger. That 
doesn't doesn't really make sense. Make sense. But just to <laughs> make sure, just to make sure, uh, Phillips, the defendant, did pick up his lawyer in his arms, like they said he would have been carrying his wife, and made another print, which still didn't match. So, like, yeah, what they were saying didn't make any sense. However, Phillips was convicted and sentenced to seven years, even though there wasn't really any evidence. Oh. Now, because there was no real evidence, six months later, the Court of Appeals of Texas overturned his conviction and ordered that there be a new trial. Because, again, there wasn't really any evidence that he did it. So next up, of course, was Hancock. And uh, there was a hung jury in his uh, his, uh, trial. Hancock's daughter testified that her mother, Susan never showed Hancock's letter, uh, the, the letter we were talking about before, right, that, like, kind of established the motive, that he never actually saw that. And so there was no real motive. So it just kind of, like, that killed their case. Mm. And the charges against both of them were dropped. There was no second trial. They were just dropped. And there wasn't any serious investigation done after that. There, w- there was no attempt to, to do one. Uh, speculation, of course, continued, and there were actually streetlights, which are some of which are still in use now. Oh. Or at least when that article was written, I guess, um, that were installed and um, bars were ordered to close at midnight. So that was just like, okay, we can't let this happen again, so let's just do this stuff, right? Um, there was also just a general effort to clean up the city in terms of like getting rid of the houses of assignation and the pool halls and that kind of stuff. And to just really, like, sweep this under the rug. Like, that's what people said. Like, let's just forget about this. Like, that was terrible. Let's just not bring it up anymore. This is, I think, somewhat akin to, like, the 1920 Wall Street bombing that we talked about in episode 13. Where it was, like, this terrible thing that happened. And then afterwards, everyone was just like, yeah, let's just forget about it. Like, that was terrible. Like, as opposed to, right, like, um, you know, a day that will live in infamy, right? Um, the uh, the bombing of um, uh, Pearl Harbor or 9-11, where everyone says, like, never forget. You know, they, they had a much different mindset at this time in this place for whatever reason. I'm not sure. And it always has to come back with this one to the inevitable speculation that the Servant Girl Annihilator may also have been Jack the Ripper. No. Yes. So the, there are people who spend hours and hours and weekends of their lives sitting and I, cause I read an article from one of them, right? <laughs> Talking, they talked about this, uh, sitting in, you know, the library at UT sitting in like the Harry ransom center or like the historical center or whatever in Austin, just like trying to prove themselves, right. That the servant girl annihilator was also Jack the Ripper. There were several of these people and let's just, Give this, uh, just for one second, let's just entertain that this may actually have been the case, okay? You got some facts? Okay, so let's look at some suggestive circumstances, let's say. So a couple of the Servant Girl Annihilator suspects were present in London and Austin at just about the right times. The main one that people talk about is a Malay cook, like a, a Malaysian person, um, who was a cook named Maurice. Maurice, um, except he was Malaysian. Um, he was in Austin from at least 1885 to January of 1886, and he left just after the last killings of the Annihilator happened. 
He also worked at the Pearl House, which was just off Congress Avenue, which is right where, like, all but two of the murders happened. Okay. So he lived, like, within just a few blocks of where 90% of these occurred, which, again, is fairly typical of serial killers to kill within within, within their neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so that's really, you know, all the suggestive stuff about him. And then he moved to London. And then, you know, Jack the Ripper murders happened. So, again, it's, like, not a whole lot to go on, but a little bit. Um, the other one people talk about is a man named Nathan Elgin. He was a 19-year-old black man working as a cook um, who was shot while assaulting a young woman in February 1886. He just, like, pulled her out of a pool hall and was, like, basically in the process of raping her and then probably killing her when um, he was stopped by the police and shot, which is, you know, somewhat similar to... The M.O. of the Servant Girl Annihilator, except would kind of be an escalation, right? Yeah, yeah. He died the next day, and no murders happened, you know, after his death in terms of the Servant Girl Annihilator murders. Interesting thing about Mr. Elgin was that he was also missing a toe on his right foot, which matches the footprints left at the Annihilator's crimes, like the bloody footprints. Mm, that's pretty damning. So that's very suggestive. So, what are the chances of that? In 1885, I don't know, people probably lost toes more often than now, but probably not super high. But, you know, really what we're left with is like a mystery, the mystery, right? Like maybe it was Nathan Elgin, maybe it was, he was Jack the Ripper, too. Who knows? No one ever got prosecuted or anything. Nope. No one ever was held to account for it. And like I said, they pretty much just said like, okay, let's, we're just going to move on from that. And, you know, hopefully it never happens again. That one's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yes. Uh, my sources were Sonia Vatomsky at Mental Floss, David Ian McKendry from 13thfloor.com, Skip Hollinsworth from Texas Monthly, Max McNabb, Texas Hill Country, and... Um, Texas. Yep. Uh, the website, The Servant Girl Murders, at ServantGirlMurders.com. Got a lot of great info there. Uh, the Servant Girl Annihilator Wikipedia page, of course. Wiki. And I did not actually read this book, but if you want more info about uh, this. Um, I didn't have time. I'm sorry. Uh, I read like four pages. Um, there's a book by Tim Huddleston, which is called Annihilation in Austin, The oh, Servant Girl Annihilator Murders one? of 1885. Yeah, it's like 70 pages long. You can buy it for like 250 on Kindle. So I, if you want just like a more detailed account of like what happened and everything. If you want more gore, if you want like a super gory description of like people who got murdered, then hey, that might be the book for you. Super nice. <laughs> so I think, um, oh, first of all, thank you for listening. Yay. We love you. You you guys are fucking awesome. Tell I can't, your friends. Tell your friends, please. Um, tell your coworkers. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, uh, jump up on a stage if you happen to be at Lollapalooza and yell it into a mic. I want to go to Lollapalooza. All Time Low is going to be there, and that's the only reason I want to go. So you go and then email us about it, and we can live vicariously through you. Only catches you have to jump up on stage and yell mystery murdery thingy into a, a, you know, a hot mic. If they already shut it off, no deal. Um, oh, post us on uh, Twitter, because um, I got our Twitter uh, account shut down, because uh, I didn't realize putting our age as one, would, they would say you're not 13. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you can't have a Twitter. 
We will say I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Um, but yeah, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash mystery murdery thingy. And I put, oh, we put up our new, uh, weird news extra volume three. We're going to record volume four tomorrow. We're going to make it a weekly thing. So like, it's loose. It's fun. We're just like fucking hanging out. Extra, extra. We get a little extra during the news extra. So check that out. Um, and give us some money because, hey, you would feel good because you're helping out poor people <laughs> like I, us. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. So let's do some weird, weird shit in the news. news. Weird, weird shit, shit in, in the news. news. Weird. What? What? <clears throat> weird. Anyway. What? 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 What is that? Oh, my God. It's weird. Is that from something? No, nah, I just like doing stupid shit. So my story this week is by Douglas Maine, and it's called Could Chernobyl Wolves Be Spreading Mutations? I heard about that. So apparently there may be some radioactive wolves. Yeah, they like, tracked like, down one wolf you know, and started moving out. There was a particular wolf, young male, who started in the Chernobyl exclusion area, so-called, uh, where the Chernobyl disaster happened back in 1985, one year before I was born, mm-hmm. in uh, northern Ukraine. And this wolf went from that area of northern Ukraine into Belarus and then into Russia, about 250 miles away. Wow. Uh, which is not atypical for young male wolves, apparently. Uh, when an area gets saturated, they go to a different area to mate. That that far? Yeah, that far. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're pretty efficient walkers. And, you know, you do, like, what, 10 miles a day. and That's only, like, a couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. So, um... It's not totally clear how much radiation they're really tracking across that whole area, but it definitely may be some. They've done some experiments with smaller animals, and they found that they definitely do track radiation, like, into other parts uh, of, you know, that area of northern Ukraine. And then they also have mutations that, like, they pass on to their children. So, you know, this could be, like, spreading. So, But they kind of pointed out that, like, the more the mutations, because mutations are almost always bad— the less they're going to survive, the fewer yeah. of them they're going to be. They yeah. could even walk 250 miles. So, like, eh, you know, the, the headlines always... These science news articles, I feel like the headlines are always way better than the story. Because <laughs> you have to, like, gin it up. You have to, like, make the science sound, like, super cool. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's pretty cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a mystery. Because, yeah, because uh, they don't really know they don't what's really going to happen. Yeah, like how much it's really going to affect other wolf populations or how much radiation they're tracking that could be harmful to anyone yeah, else. Yeah, I was almost going to talk about that. Oh, really? That would have been but funny. But I found something. What's yours? Okay, this is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely what fabulous. Happened. It was posted a month ago on Reddit. Okay. So I'm just going to read the post by the underscore plow underscore king why is there always underscores in reddit names i don't know mine has two underscores in it that's a mystery okay in 1993 american band soul asylum released their critically acclaimed song runaway train a power ballad dealing with depression there are several versions of the music video you Mario's reading over my shoulder. It's a habit, I'm sorry. I hate it. Okay. I hate it. I hate it. There are several... There there are several versions of the music video. The U.S. version opening with the text, There are over one million youth lost on the streets of America. And the U.K. version, 
100,000 youth are lost on the streets of Britain. Over the course of four and a half minutes, the video toggles between footage of the band singing and dotted throughout are photos and names of real missing children along with the date on which each appeared disappeared. There were three original versions of the video in the U.S. totaling 36 missing children shown. The children shown varied with the location of the broadcast using missing children from that area. Tony Kay, the director of the music video, has since stated that 26 featured missing children have returned home since the video aired. Oh my god, that's awesome. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. And then it goes into into detail, the resolved cases, got some names, Vicki Hamilton, Dinah McNichol, Kurt Hunzinger. He went missing in 1990. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That kind of reminds me of, like, the disappeared children of the uh, Argentine Dirty War. Yeah. Yeah, where it's, like, this, like, crowdsourcing project, kind of, to, like, get them back or, like, reconnect after a long time. That's crazy, though. I didn't realize there were that many missing children. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty nuts. But I was like, what? When I read that, Yeah. Was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely good. It's uh, some good... Uh, shit some in good the shit. news. Good, good shit in good the news. Shit good the shit the news. in the news. Good else? shit in the news. Got anything else, Mario Silva? I've got um, so many. No, I have nothing else. <laughs> hey, let's go on for another 20 minutes. Um, no, it no, is yeah. bedtime. Yeah, it's definitely bedtime. But, like, just bedtime. So I think we're doing good. It's bedtime. Yeah. So um, do, you know, uh, check out our Weird News Extras. Um, I'm going to have. But they're only available if you donate. Right. Um, mine, you know, Subscribe. one of them. It's, one of mine's going to involve worms. So, um, you know, just if you love worms, might be a good reason. <laughs> don't know. You know, maybe you're super into worms. I don't know. Some people are. You know, worm farmers. Uh, losing Lois's husband before he was murdered. Obviously very into worms. Um, losing streak Lois, excuse me. Um, so, is that for Family Guy? No, that's Lois Reese. I don't know if, who that oh, is. You, you, see, you're, you're going to have to listen to our last, the Weird News Extra Volume 3, and we'll we'll tell you all about it. Um, so, yeah, no, I think we're done. Um, oh, okay. I just have one other thing. Oh, I just wanted to say one. Good job by you! I thought we were going to stop. <laughs> it never ends. I thought we were going no. to stop. It's, it's like Jason. You just, you think he's dead, but he's never dead. Uh, bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.